0: Welcome back to the Hardware Unboxed podcast for episode 18. In this episode, we're giving our expectations of hardware in 2024. So we're going to be talking about Zen 5, we're going to be talking about Battle Mage. we're going to be talking about Arrow Lake, RDNA 4, all based on pretty much nothing. So we're just going to give our random guesses, our random expectations of things that we're pretty much expecting to happen in 2024. We at least know that some of these products are coming out. So anyway... I guess let's get into it. Let's talk about some things that may be very wrong. It's 2024, Steve. Welcome back to the Hard From Books podcast. (laughs) We're going at it again for another
1: year. should be fun. Feels very different now that it's 2024.
0: How often do you reckon you're going to get the date wrong? Like how long does it usually take you to adjust to the new 2024 way of life?
1: I'd like to cut myself some leeway for at least six
0: months. (laughs) You reckon by June, you'll still be saying it's 2023? Probably. (laughs) Uh, I'm hoping that I don't get it wrong once in this podcast episode, but I'm sure I will. uh, Because in this episode, we're going to be talking about 2024 hardware, and I've got it right that time, 2024 hardware. So our expectations for things that are going to come out this year. So I've made a few notes of like the expected product releases this year in the sort of expected release cadence i'm not sure whether all of these products will actually be released this year or whether they'll be released in a different way than we're expecting but we'll use the first episode of the year to talk about you know the sort of things that is going to make 2024 exciting Mm because i was looking at this list and i don't know about you but this looks to be a more interesting lineup of products than what we saw last year so 2023 mm-hmm. which feels like it wasn't last year just yet but you know what i mean
1: yeah so more exciting than like a 7800x3d couple of like mid-range gpus to fill out the lineup and a refreshed cpu series from intel what am i missing <laughs> i think you've that's pretty much all that we got right like close to yeah
0: yeah wasn't very exciting this year we're expecting my, many more things in fact and they should be starting to come out as early as january so in like mm-hmm. a couple of weeks from now we should be starting to see the first of these things so let's get straight into it with the first thing that i've flagged here which i'm not sure where this will come first before rtx super or not but intel's 14th gen non-k processors are expected right. to be launched very soon <laughs> so right at the start of january this is probably something we're not going to talk about for too long because this is just another refresh is pretty much the expectation. here. it has refresh. to be right,
1: yeah. It has to be, uh, yeah. I think I saw the rumor of the 14100, so the Core mm-hmm. i3 part, which would replace the 13100, which would replace the popular 12100 or did replace well, sort of replaced it. I think they, they sold alongside each other, and I think the 12100 remained pretty much the go-to CPU in terms of value and whatnot for that price segment. I yep. think I saw something like that the MSRP was around $150 US, whereas I could be wrong, but I think the 12-100 spent a lot of time down around $80, $85. It so, should be a
0: sub-$100 CPU. I think that's the whole point of that product yeah, in the lineup.
1: definitely. So we'll obviously we'll see what it, it launches at, but $150 is a laughably bad a price or price point for that particular part because mm-hmm. well yeah it's a it's essentially a core i7 7700k that could support ddr5 memory uh
0: yeah i mean i think the expectations with the, the four did i say 7700
1: sorry anyway so that's what i meant sorry go on
0: 7700 something like yep. that in yep. in the the higher end of a uh, many generations ago part with just four cores so mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, it, it's unlikely that some of these parts will even be the very latest silicon. They could still be using like older Lake style stuff, which is what twelfth generation. So, you know, the, the lineup well, from Intel at the moment is very mixed.
1: Yeah, I mean, if they're a refresh, they would be, wouldn't they? So.
0: Yeah, because the thirteenth gen Core i three was an older Lake part, wasn't it? So, yeah, yeah it was wasn't a even refresh. the refresh. Rap- yep. Yeah, it wasn't even Raptor Lake. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with those lower-end parts, there's really not that much that's going to be exciting there. I wouldn't have thought. I don't imagine too many people will be rushing out to buy a 14th-gen non-K part, especially because later in 2024 or even potentially in the first part of 2024, AMD should be releasing Zen 5, which I imagine most people will be waiting for before deciding on these sort of purchases. I I mean, I guess you could put in a 14th-gen non-K CPU into your existing motherboard if you've already got it but like how often would someone with a lower tier cpu be interested in upgrading to like a five or ten percent faster other lower tier cpu it's just not like just not going to be super interesting i mean i guess are you even planning on testing these parts
1: uh i i don't know was i i I guess there was no firm plans to test Mm. them but You know, if if a fourteen one hundred came my way, I'd probably do some sort of video, just largely to see, you know, what it is uh, Mm -hmm. officially, and then probably mock it because it's going to be a very bad product, especially if the rumored MSRP of one hundred fifty dollars US is true. Given that you know you're able to buy essentially the same thing for a hundred dollars or less for years now. So that would be weird.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's just not getting me excited. And, you know, shortly launching after that is the NVIDIA RTX super series, which I'm not going to talk too much about because we've covered that previously in other podcast episodes. And, you know, at this point they're pretty much right around the corner. You should be hearing about them very, very soon. The expectations there, of course, being small performance uplifts over previous generation parts, the expectations, 4070 super, 4070 TI super, 4080 super, Mm-hmm. with you know, a variety of small improvements here and there. So, yeah, if you want to hear our thoughts on what we're expecting there, probably check out prior podcast episodes because there's not too much that has changed from those in terms of expectations. There's been plenty of rumors over the last couple of weeks and months that sort of yeah highlight what to expect there. But something that came up recently, much more recently, was that AMD is planning to release, well, at least according to rumors, additional RDNA 3 GPUs now I'd thought that the lineup that they had was probably finished with the 7600 7700 XT 7800 XT and so on but rumors are suggesting that they'll be slotting in the Radeon RX 7600 XT into that lineup at some point in January so I'm not sure whether this is actually a true correct product or not whether that is going to come out because I believe the RX 7600 uses a fully unlocked version of the Navi, was it Navi 33 die? So whether or not they're just bumping clock speeds or changing something minor there or moving to Navi 32 and cutting that down to fit a 7600 XT because it's already been cut down once to make the 7700 XT. So it'd have to be cut down even more to make a 7600 XT. Yeah, it's a bit of an interesting product. I'm not sure whether the 7600 was originally supposed to be a 7600 XT until they realized maybe the performance didn't justify that. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. Have you heard anything about the 7600 XT and what what to expect there?
1: Uh, (laughs) Yes and no. Uh, I can't say too much to be perfectly honest, but yeah, Mm -hmm. probably going to be a product, let's say that. And there is uh, quite a big price gap between the the 7600 and 7700 XT, so it's not shocking to me that there would be a 7600 XT, apart from the fact that there's no obvious silicon that they would use for that part. So it seems like it would have to be uh, a cut-down version of the 7700 XT again. But, you know, rumoured to have still 16 gigabytes of VRAM, Mm -hmm. so can't be cut down too much.
0: I guess there's a couple of ways they could achieve 16 gigabytes, right? Like it could be a 7600 where they've gone, oh, well, the 8 gigabytes wasn't sufficient, so the selling point is now 16 gigabytes with the exact same die. And I think that would make some sense because the naming of the two products would be pretty similar. So you sort of go Mm -hmm. 7600, maybe they can eke out slightly faster memory or slightly higher clock speeds and call it a 7600 XT. That that's one angle. The other option, of course, is, you know, the seventy seven hundred XT has cut down the memory bus from two fifty six bit to one ninety two bit to go from sixteen gig to twelve gig of memory. They could cut that further to one twenty eight bit, but then just offer double the the memory capacity. So instead of eight gig at one twenty eight bit, offer sixteen gig. Uh, that's one path they could go down there as well, and that would allow them to offer more compute units. But you know, there's a 7700 XT has 54 compute units the 7600 has 32 so it's like how far do they want to cut down that part um before it becomes a bit un- unrealistic for a navi 32 die and how much more computers do they want to offer while still calling it a 7600 XT like if it was 46 compute units or something it's pretty big in, like performance improvement you'd get there but yeah, yeah, yeah. it well, would make I, sense to have a product in that price range i guess
1: yeah, you've put me on the spot here because I can't really talk about it, so... Yeah, I mean, um, that's, that's right. I'm trying not to give anything away in any direction. Um, that's that's so. true.
0: I actually don't know anything about this part, so <laughs> <laughs> we will uh, get to that later because that yep. is expected. The rumours are suggesting a January release as well. Mm-hmm. And then to round out the January supposed releases from 2024... Is Zen 4 desktop APUs? I so, can talk about
1: those because I know nothing.
0: Yeah, so these parts are <laughs> supposed to be based on the laptop silicon that is currently floating around mm-hmm. um, in a variety of laptop designs, which combines the Zen 4 CPU design with a RDNA 3 GPU design in sort of a monolithic style design. So the current zen 4 desktop cpus are technically apus because they do have a very bad integrated gpu in them that can't really do anything but this is supposed to be the version for people that want you know entry level dis- you know not discrete graphics but entry level graphics capabilities a few additional features things like uh, can the zen 4 current cpus do video encoding in their igpu or is that was that cut away? I can't quite remember.
1: Yeah, I don't actually recall, to be perfectly honest. I have done very little testing on them. I think on the initial reviews we had a look at what they could do. Uh, it's clearly just, you know, to compete with Intel's iGPU in their mm. CPUs, which is also, well, you know, it has some useful features, but in terms of rendering games and stuff, it's it's pretty much a, a non-starter there. So it's just a, it, it's to make them more usable, more cost-effective, more viable as sort of office type CPU so you can get a, a 7600 chuck it on a B650 motherboard with some memory storage stick it in a case and you have got work a working computer without the need to purchase a discrete graphics card so that, that was yep. the whole point of that GPU but obviously the APUs yeah go a step beyond that and they do offer some of those extra hardware based features and more rendering performance so you could you can play games to, to a degree some games
0: yeah, I mean, what we've seen from things like the, what is it, the Phoenix series, which is the <laughs> codename that's being used for the um, the mobile processors, is that they are capable of low-end style gaming. But again, those APUs are more designed for laptops and things like the Steam Deck. The Steam Deck doesn't actually use that silicon, but, you know, portable gaming systems, which really are designed for, you know, 720p to 1080p low setting gaming at 30 to 60 FPS, 60 FPS if you're lucky, but it does depend on the power level as well there. So, you know, that's the sort of expectation from these APUs. And we always get the, you know, oh, when are APUs going to be the next big thing for low-end gaming? And I think every single generation, it just always comes down to when they are released. They look super powerful when they're, you know, years out and people are talking about, oh, we're going to be getting you know, 12 compute units or 16 compute units. I believe they're 12 compute units for these designs, but we're going to get all these compute units of RDNA 3. It's going to work really well. And then by the time they're out, it's like, yeah, it's once again low and low sort of spec gaming capabilities. So mm-hmm. that's pretty much, you know, they're going to be limited by DDR5 memory bandwidth and things like that. But, you know, the current laptop silicon, the 8 core 16 thread parts, they've got 16 mega L 3 cache, 12 compute units of uh, RDNA 3 GPU and we would expect a higher power limit for the desktop part. So normally with the laptop parts up to like 50, 60 watts for something like that, hopefully we'll be able to see 65 plus watt parts, which would allow a few higher clock speeds. But yeah, I mean, there's still, it's, it's for your entry level style gaming, but hopefully these will run things like, you know, multiplayer shooters and things like that of today at reasonable quality levels so that they are an option for some people
1: yeah they're very much niche products uh we've seen it time and time again people get excited about them they try to push like a 5700g or 5600g as being like sort of the ultimate all-in-one budget solution but usually when we dig into it and do the testing at least this has been the case historically things have changed since we last sort of looked at those parts but you could buy an entry-level discrete gpu with the standard version of that cpu whether it be a 5600 5600x instead of the g version and in terms of uh, cost it'd be fairly similar you might pay a little bit more for the discrete solution but it would be just much more powerful much better for gaming so Mm -hmm. they've never really made sense and i can't imagine that this next generation of zen 4 based APUs is going to make sense either for gamers Uh, if you could probably make like cool little tiny itx type based systems that you know can do casual type gaming uh playing mm-hmm. older games and stuff like that which is kind of neat like a low-powered compact system but that's also very much a niche product that most people aren't going to be that interested in. I, I almost see them similar
0: to you know what you were talking about with just the regular Zen 4 CPUs before about how the GPU is really included for desktop work. Mm-hmm. You know This is basically just a more powerful version of that. So if you needed to do desktop work, but you were finding that even that integrated graphics is too weak. So for example, I don't know, maybe you're running Photoshop or something like that, which isn't super heavy on graphics, but would probably benefit from more than just what the existing Zen 4 parts provide then you could get your all-in-one APU solution from something like uh, a Zen 4 APU and hopefully that would be sort of a lower cost smaller equivalent because yeah you know you could make a small ITX system with one of these parts in it for gaming but i imagine most people wouldn't be super satisfied with the gaming performance really you know those the performance of those parts is acceptable for portable systems things like as as we mm-hmm. were talking about there's the was it the Asus, ROG Ally, those sorts of very portable systems where you need something that runs at 10 watts to play portable games on? Whereas for a desktop, that's not a limitation. Really, you could run it as as powerfully as you want and make it as large as you need. So yeah, it's gonna be I feel like it's more niche than maybe previous parts. I, I think during maybe cryptocurrency mining, we saw some interest in apus over these sort of things so there was always that idea of oh you can buy an apu and play your entry-level low spec gaming now and then buy a gpu later once they become a bit more affordable a bit Mm. more uh, accessible because you couldn't even buy them back then Mm -hmm. whereas now that that isn't really a challenge in the market you can go and buy entry-level gpus if you really want to now some of those options aren't great but (laughs) they still are available so I don't imagine too many people will be doing that sort of buy an APU and then upgrade later, especially because the APUs are typically more expensive than just buying the CPU itself uh, in the sort of non-APU version. So,
1: Yeah, it's always, it's always a tough one, this, because people get upset because they're like, oh, you know, we don't have endless money like you guys, because apparently have endless money. I, I get that there's budgets involved and there's financial constraints, but at the same time, you, you know, in a sense, you're almost throwing away money. Sometimes by getting the ultra cheap entry level stuff. Like a perfect example, in my opinion, would be something like a Radeon RX 6500 XT. So, four gigabyte graphics card, very awful, uh, lacks number of features, mm-hmm. is crippled in about three different ways. And they cost at the moment $140 US. So, that's a pretty cheap graphics card, especially by what we've seen over the last few years. You know, it, it does kind of play games depending on the games you know you can play counter-strike 2 and stuff like that with it at reasonable frame rates but for $50 more so about $190 $200 at most US you can buy an RX 6600 which is on average close to twice the performance it should be only about 40 to 50 percent faster but because of things like PCIe bandwidth, VRAM capacity, memory bandwidth, all that kind of stuff, it often ends up being more than twice as fast in modern games. Yeah. So you're saving fifty dollars, but you're not really like it. it and uh, the sixty five hundred XT, you know, you can't play a lot of games like you know Avatar, Alan Wake two. Uh, you can't get sixty FPS using ten eighty P with the lowest possible quality settings in like Cyberpunk. Um, Mm -hmm. the last of us part one The, the list of games goes on and on whereas you're going to achieve really great frame rates with an rx 6600 so you'd be better off in terms of you know investment driving your dollar as far as possible by spending that extra money and it's sort of the same thing with the apus especially if we're talking about like higher core count cpus because they are quite expensive and you might as well just buy the Non APU version, and then get something like an RX 6600 or maybe the GeForce equivalent, whatever that may be, because you will get much better performance and just a much better system overall. So it puts APUs yeah. on a desktop in a tough position. Clearly, for laptops, they make a lot of sense, but for desktops, very niche.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was just going back and looking at the Zen 3 APU pricing, you know, the MSRPs. And so to get the G model over the non G model, so to get the APU versus having no integrated graphics, you're looking at paying about 60 US dollars more. So something like a 5700G launched at $360, the 5700X was $300. And then same with the 5600G, $260, 5600, $200. Mm-hmm. So you're $60 more to get, you know, from a reasonably low end. Obviously, those other chips had no integrated graphics so there's a little bit different there you could potentially use a 5600g for you know some sort of server that might need you know accelerated um video encoding or something like that but you know it's always going to come down to do you spend 60 dollars more i'm assuming we're going to see probably similar pricing structure this time around should you spend 60 dollars more to get something that really can't play a lot of games at acceptable quality levels or are you, would you then spend you know, 190 dollars, which is a lot more granted it is what an additional hundred and thirty dollars on top of that CPU to then get something that is genuinely capable of playing most of today's games. yeah, still at you know 1080p resolution, lowish quality settings.
1: but you know but it's also sort of- adding to that is that the of the example you gave, so those are uh, Zen3 based parts, the mm-hmm. G variants were much slower CPUs.
0: Uh, yeah, they have right. half yeah. as
1: much L three cache. You know, They're a completely different design, so you, you're getting inferior CPU performance with a really weak GPU. Whereas you could get, yeah, you could spend less money on the CPU, get a more powerful CPU, and then invest a bit more because you, even you know 190 dollars. Sure, that that's a really quite RX 6600 is a surprisingly capable GPU even today. But you can buy if it's just to make do like you you don't need that much gpu performance something like an rx 6400 that'll that'll be a better combination uh, and that'll get you closer to the $100 mark so you get yeah, close right. to the same amount of money spent for something that's more powerful in terms of CPU and GPU performance. Yeah,
0: and I mean, we're going to likely see lower CPU performance from Zen 4 APUs simply because the laptop APUs only have 16 megabytes of L3 cache. That's half the amount that you would get just from the, not even the X3D models, but just the regular Zen Mm -hmm. 4 processors. So, yeah, I mean, that that has to be factored in there as well. And, yeah, I, I get that there are going to be people who, you know, in total, they're only going to be able to spend... $250 or something and you might get a six core APU for that sort of price and but at at the same time it always feels like those people kind of get shafted a little bit as you're talking about the low there's always that sweet spot which are products like 6600 in terms of GPU and then the lower you go the more you tend to get just shafted where you're not there's like a small reduction in price for a big reduction in performance And so, in a lot of cases, yeah, if you are able to, it is better to save up a little bit more money, get that sort of sweet spot entry level combination. And even if it's not like a super powerful product, there are other options. Even things like the used market, it may be better to look there, get your, you know, you can get some pretty cheap and capable previous generation GPUs on eBay for good, good prices. And I think that as well is probably something that people will be looking into of course that's always the new versus used you know discussion do you buy a new apu versus something else that's got used in the mix it's you know it's hard to compare those two things apples to apples but yeah i think these apus will struggle to have any significant relevance in 2024 they just don't they just don't seem to be offering all that much for desktop buyers but again like we're just talking about products we haven't actually seen but basing it off likely specifications because the silicon is released effectively Mm.
1: i think when you are talking about ultra budget stuff entry-level stuff the used market does become a valid conversation to have not so much when we're comparing you know mid-range to high-end parts but if it's about saving as much money as possible to get the best deal possible then ignoring the second-hand market probably not a good idea. And look, we're not saying that these N4 APUs are going to be bad products or that you shouldn't buy them. We're just saying that they are niche products that are unlikely to be the best option for most people.
0: Yeah, that's right. So I mean, they could come out with very competitive pricing, you know, if the pricing was very similar to the non-APU models and they could that could open it up to being a more widely used product. It just depends mm-hmm. where that lands and the sort of use cases for people, but yeah. I think for the most part, people will probably be, again, waiting for something like Zen 5, which again, maybe we should just talk about Zen 5 because these CPUs are expected at some point in 2024. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure exactly when. So a lot of the products that we're about to talk about from here on out, it's very much like uh, not sure when it's coming, but probably this year at some point. I believe Zen 5, the rumors are suggesting the first half of 2024 Beyond that, it's you know, we can't sit here and say, Yeah, it's coming in April or something. That would just be a pure guess.
1: Yeah, we're in the take it with a grain of salt territory now. So, everything everything is pure speculation, uh, guesswork, and yeah, all of that sort of stuff based on rumor Mm -hmm. sources and stuff. So, who knows how reliable that can be in the past. Not always super reliable, but you know, sometimes. Somewhat accurate, it's guesswork. At least that's what it seems like a lot of the time. Or at yeah. least it's guesswork on our behalf as to know which rumor is accurate.
0: I, I think this far out from products as well, it's pretty hard to know exactly what they're going to be doing. Like mm-hmm. there's always going to be some rough, you know, people tend to know sort of what the design is going to look like, but things like final specifications, the configuration, pricing, and everything, mm-hmm. you know, trying to predict it this far out is, you know, we've seen. Many rumor sources get into strife trying to do that. And I think, you know, the closer you get, the more accurate you can be on those sorts of claims. But if I was sitting here saying, yeah, we're going to be getting a 16 core CPU at $500, it's like, well, it's that's not going to be confirmed at this point. And certainly, you know, they choose that's those right. things very close to release.
1: Uh, even stuff like the performance that we can expect to see from them, like IPC uplifts and stuff. I read a few different sources. Some were saying, oh, you know, expectations are in the 20 to 30% range, which is huge. Like if they achieve that, yep. it'll be very impressive. Uh, yeah, very, very impressive. But then other sources are saying 10 uh, to 15%, which probably seems more reasonable, realistic. Yeah,
0: I would say so. And with these performance claims and things, it's always hard to know whether they actually do mean IPC, as in they're testing both at the same clock speed, or whether they're meaning more overall single-thread performance, which mm-hmm. can be affected by the final frequency of the cores. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you get 10 to 15% IPC increase plus additional clock speeds, mm-hmm. you could get 20 to 30% more performance per core, which would be, you know, it, it can make both of those rumors accurate in one way or another, but just sort of it depends on the terminology that they're meaning and mm-hmm. where that information was sourced from. That said, though, I think with Zen Five we probably won't see. This is just pure guess speculation on my part. I I think it's unlikely we would see too much improvement in frequency. Mm -hmm. Um, Zen Four processors, what they already run at up to six gigahertz, I think, or close to six gigahertz for some of the top end desktop processors in terms of like their peak performance. Mm -hmm. So I
1: think they top out what five point
0: seven gigahertz,
1: yeah, thereabouts, yeah. So there is certain workloads.
0: Yeah, there's not too much more room to go there. And typically with these, you know, node advancements, because it is believed that uh, the next generation of processors will be a node shrink down from TSMC N5 to, pro- could be N4, N3. We're not sure. Three so- to four probably,
1: there.
0: yeah. Yeah, something like that. I mean, N4 is very similar to N5. N3 is sort of a more, you know, substantial uh, mm. node improvement. At least that's what TSMC claims. And, yeah, we haven't really seen huge frequency improvements for these sorts of process nodes as they get shrunk down. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think I would certainly be expecting personally more the 10 to 15% IPC. I think that would make a lot more sense, I guess, uh, and that also being very similar to the final performance as well simply because of frequency-related things. But, again, that's just a pure guess on my part. Like, I don't know. But certainly, like 20 to 30% would be a massive IPC mm. improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, how much was Zen 4 IPC improved? It wasn't heaps over Zen 3
1: from memory. No. Well, yeah, there was obviously the frequency and stuff as well. But I think in total, was it in the 20% range? I actually don't remember, which I've done a video on it, but it's a bit of a blur now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there was a reasonable gain there. But yeah. That, that would be substantial. We'll, we'll, I guess, yeah, we'll have to wait and see on that one. Um, you can, you can guess till, uh, well, basically until they're released and then you'll know. I was gonna say, like, the other rumor which would help more for productivity workloads than anything else would be these 16 core, uh, core complex dies rather than eight. Mm-hmm. And you know, they started at four, didn't they, back in the original design? So, yeah, it was four, right? Uh,
0: I'm was pretty preset.
1: Was it eight, but it was
0: split in half? To begin with, so it had four. It had yeah, two, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, two CCXs per CCD, and yep. then eventually now it's just one CCX on the the CCD.
1: Yeah, I think
0: I think that's the way it was.
1: Yeah, that's what it launched with, like back in 2017. It was quite a while ago now, so it's testing my memory. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the, this would be, I guess, sort of a natural progression there. So that that wouldn't surprise me, and that'd be a good step forward. I
0: think they. May move to the 16 core CCD, but I'm not sure whether they will offer more than 16 cores on the desktop mm-hmm. market at least to begin with. I'm mm-hmm. I'm not convinced that they would want to go straight from launching you know Zen four server CPUs, Zen five server CPUs, and obviously Threadripper recently mm-hmm. to then suddenly being like, hey, we've got 32 cores on our desktop platform. Um, I, it's possible that they would do like I don't want to rule it out. But I would imagine that they could potentially just offer the one CCD plus IO die for a desktop part just to begin with until, you know, they sort of figure out the market, figure out where things are going, simply because a lot of, you know, applications that people are buying these parts for may not necessarily need the 32 core CPU. And it could be limited by things like memory bandwidth, um, which would obviously be the same on AM5 platforms and, you know, other things like, you know, You start getting to 32 core CPUs and people wanting to put in lots more peripherals into their, you know, add-in cards, which is really where the Threadripper platform is designed for. So if you had like this super powerful 32 core Zen 5 CPU on the desktop platform, you have to start thinking about, well, who's going to be buying this for something where they're still limited to dual core, uh, sorry, dual channel DDR5 memory and all those sorts of factors. So... I don't know whether they will go straight to that or whether they will you know, bank that for later if they did go with the 16-core CCD or change up the CCD design so it's bigger and you can't actually fit two of them on the one AM5 chip. I don't know what they do there. But I agree it makes sense that that would be the natural progression is moving to having all those cores mm-hmm. on the one CCD. Um, and I think it would make parts like the... Yeah, you know, the seventy nine fifty X three D, where you've got that weird split between the three D V cache on one die and it's not on the other die, and they can change. There's differences in frequencies, and they have to sort of do all that sort of side of thing. Make a lot more sense with that sort of
1: design. Yeah, it would be it would be a huge upgrade by having all of sixteen cores localized and sharing the same L three cache, especially for stuff like the X three D CPUs if they make you know, imagine yep. a 16 core version of that again absolutely not required for gaming but for those who want to game and do other things that you know use more cores it's kind of the perfect cpu like the 7950x3d if all 16 cores could access the same l3 uh, cache pool like the the, X, the the stacked pool that would be insane like that would be the ultimate cpu uh, and it would really make recommending something like a 14 900k impossible i mean it's difficult now really given the issues with that cpu and yeah. primarily power consumption but yeah it would, it would really at least right now that would be the ultimate desktop cpu yeah
0: uh, it would certainly be a very compelling part I, I guess the the question that i would have over shrinking everything into the one ccd is things like you know currently the ccd design with eight cores has 32 meg of Uh, l3 cache and then obviously once you buy you know the 12 16 core models you get two lots of 32 meg for 64 meg total but as you've been talking about it is split between the two dies. Mm -hmm. you know memory cache those sorts of things tends to be more difficult to shrink with node shrinks than the core design so if they're trying to fit 16 cores which is probably doable to shrink down uh, the bigger challenge that i would see is would they put in 64 meg of l3 cache on the one die and how would that go like can they shrink it down to a reasonable size would they have to you know we wouldn't want them to cut back on the cache and only offer say 16 cores with 32 mega 3 cache so yeah that, that'll be a challenge for them if they do go with the 16 core complex so we'll have to see you know can they fit into the same sort of size and again like i was talking about potentially if they're trying to do 16 cores plus the full similar cache to what we've already got then they might have to make it a bigger design, in which case then it would, would cause some issues for fitting onto that AM4 socket size. But then again, another way AM5. around that. Yeah, AM5. Another way around that could be to offer 32 meg and then stacking 32 meg on top of it. So instead of trying to make it in the one plane, they'd be using their v technology to stack mm-hmm. to make 64 meg and then they could stack you know, a different density or more on top of that again to give you those VCash parts. So these are all the sort of things that they could be thinking about in terms of designs for Zen 5, and I imagine they've, you know, we'll see what happens there when they they announce it. But, yeah, that would be probably the, yeah, as you say, the design that makes the most sense, the progression that makes the most sense for them to go in. But, again, we're just purely guessing here <laughs> as to whether that's going to happen.
1: Yeah, Yeah. well, maybe we don't even know if it's going to be launched uh, this, this year, but we... Rumors are mm. suggesting the first half. Uh, I fully expect Zen 5 to launch this year. But 100%. When,
0: yeah, I think that's pretty when? likely at this point. Next up for potential release in 2024, and this one is probably more questionable as to whether we get it or not than Zen 5, are uh, Intel's next-generation Battle Mage GPUs. So it's been flagged for a while that Battle Mage is supposed to be released in 2024, and it would certainly make sense based on how long it has been since the launch of alchemist the first generation lineup which off the top of my head it was supposed to be 2020 well they originally said 2020 and then it became 2022 right at some point Mm -hmm. like yeah towards the end of 2022 yeah once
1: the cryptocurrency mining boom ended they're like hey we got new gpus (laughs) so that was poorly timed
0: Yeah, so I was just going back and having a look. They started off with the A380. That was in June of 2022. And then the A770 and A750 was October of 2022. So being released at some point during 2024, surely they'd be able to get out some new silicon by that point. That would be approaching two years or at least Mm -hmm. 18 months to 24 months between GPU generations, which for most GPU vendors is pretty much what they do these days. So... Yes, I believe we should be expecting Battlemage GPUs. The big question, of course, is whether or not Intel cancels it because mm-hmm. that always seems to be the sort of teetering on the edge of will they, won't they create more desktop GPUs? What are your thoughts? Do you reckon that they will proceed with Battlemage on desktop or will they just go mobile, cancel the whole thing?
1: What are your sort of guesses? <laughs> uh, I honestly... I honestly don't know what is likely to happen with that one i really don't uh they seem to be pushing it fairly aggressively at least the intel members of the you know the gpu team they and i guess that's their job like they really want to make it work so they're they're pushing quite hard we've seen pretty impressive driver development and they do seem committed to the project whether intel as a corporation is fully committed to the the discrete GPU thing. I don't know, but certainly the guys in charge of of making and promoting and pushing out those GPUs, they seem very motivated and very committed. So I, yep. I don't know what I'm not sure what the takeaway is from that. I would expect them to keep pushing forward. I, I think they've made some pretty impressive inroads. I'm not expecting the next generation like i was reading some rumors and they're like this is the generation where intel will catch up in terms of performance and stuff i'm like uh yeah i don't Mm. know about that one that's um so obviously there's a lot of questionable news sources out there and rumors and claims and stuff it's i think we predicted it would be a minimum of three generations just to make the necessary inroads to start you know start competing not necessarily actually be certainly not competing at the top but at be genuinely competitive third entrant into the, the GP arena would be three generations. And we've got one down. And I think, I think the first generation overall has probably gone better than what I thought it would. I I think think
0: it's, yeah, I think it's come a lot, lot further along than I would have expected. Mm -hmm. Like I was always expecting the launch of the first gen to be fairly janky. So Mm -hmm. issues with drivers, issues with game compatibility, But Intel has made a surprising amount of work into resolving a lot of those issues. And yeah, there Mm -hmm. are still games launched every once in a while, which at launch you can't really run them on ARC GPUs. But for the most part, you're getting a reasonable experience in today's games on an ARC product. And that's probably not what I would have expected even a year after launch. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or actually a bit more than a year beyond launch. I, I, I would have thought that it would take them a lot longer than that. And on top of that, they've been quite competitive with features, drivers, um, driver features, and game features. They've obviously got a DLSS competitor already. Now they probably need to make frame gen as, as a comp- competing feature as well, but the driver software is reasonable. Um, and yeah, they've been... It, it'd feel a lot like wasted work if they went straight from... All this work they've put in to make ARC drivers better and more compatible and not broken in games and make all these game features like XCSS. And they are continuing to push XCSS even in recent games. Like they just were recently sponsoring titles such as Assassin's Creed Mirage, which was launched right at the end of 2023. Mm -hmm. It just feels so wasted if they put in all that work and then they're just like, we're not making a Battle Mage desktop line. Like... Surely, if I would think if they're planning on a 2024 GPU release, that they would have significantly wound down the driver development and game support and things like that by this point because they'd be working towards nothing. Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, that's right. That's why I, I was sort of saying, like, looking at all the available information and data we have, it doesn't seem like that's the situation. Everyone. Because as you're saying, if, if that was the situation, you you would be pretty unmotivated, wouldn't you? It'd be pretty depressing knowing that everything you've worked for, the vision that you had, your contribution to it was all for nothing. But yeah. that doesn't seem to be the attitude that that I'm getting from the people involved. They seem like really gung ho. They're they're willing to make this work. They're working hard. So yeah, but also it'd just be. Yeah, it'd be very disappointing given all that they have achieved over the last year and a half with with the Arc GPUs because it has been impressive. Certainly, uh, achieved a lot more than I expected they would. So it would suck for it just to end.
0: Yeah, and one of the issues that we saw with the initial Arc launch was that even the launch itself was delayed because of things like drivers. So Mm -hmm. back then, at least, again, it's hard to know exactly what was going on because we're talking about plans pre-launch, which Is sort of rumor territory, but the thinking back in 2022 was that Arc products could have launched earlier than what when they did in October. That the silicon was ready for quite a while, but they wanted to launch it at a point where you know the drivers were even at the time somewhat usable. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it didn't launch in in the best state. But if it had launched, say, six months earlier, then it would have potentially been even worse for them. Whereas with a future generation like Battlemage, they pretty much shouldn't have as much of that as a concern You'd, they'd be launching into a state where a lot more of today's games would be working so reviews at the time would be testing based on games where they actually do work on Arc GPUs and so when the silicon is ready for battlemage it shouldn't be you know a 6 month delay or longer to get those cards out it should be much more in line with you know the when they're actually being produced and again if those cards were produced more towards the start of 2022 is in the original Arc cards then we'd be, yeah, we should be seeing this, I would have thought, towards the middle of 2024, not, not so much towards the end. But just on some cursory looks at you know various specifications and things from the original ARC, there are some areas where they do need to make some pretty significant headroom. One of the areas in particular is that I believe ARC significantly underperformed expectations for, even with driver development that we have today compared to what was originally rumored and thought to be the case. The A770 was originally supposed to be RTX 3070 level of performance. It uses a 400 square millimeter die on TSMC N6, which is larger than like a you know 6700 XT from AMD, mm-hmm. but ended up competing more with 6650 XT, 6600 XT from AMD, which were like 240 square millimeter dies so they're using this much larger die to get the performance of a a a smaller die from their competitors and that's something that they'll need to address with something like battle mage it may not be parity just yet but if they're expecting it to be let's say rtx 4070 levels of performance or something like that then they would want to make sure it actually delivers RTX 4070 levels of performance out of the gate not a tier below because that you know that impacts things like margins it makes it more expensive to produce the die sizes, you know you get power implications and things like that from having the larger die so hopefully that's one area that they'll be able to address with a future generation but again we'll see on that i guess where would your expectations be for sort of performance for something like a Ballemage GPU in terms of like, obviously we we're just saying like not, not high end, right? Like, do you think they'll be able to? Because where's an A seven seventy now compared to cut? Like, is it at the level of his RX seventy six hundred? It's about it's about that, right?
1: Yes, yeah, thereabouts, uh, somewhere between that and the sixty six hundred, I would have thought. Like on average, again, depends on the games you include and stuff like that. But let's say thereabouts, just to make it easy. So roughly, you know, an RTX. 4060. So I've just looked
0: up some performance data and yes the uh about the level of the RX 7600 for the A770 and the RTX 4070 would then be offering, you know, 60% plus more performance uh, depending on the resolution that you look at. So the 4070 is a fair bit more powerful than that tier of GPU. So, you know, whether or not they get it to that level or 4070 Ti level, 4070 Ti is again like an additional 20, 30% more performance on top of that. Mm-hmm. So you're starting to get into like the doubling of performance territory to reach 4070 Ti, which again, like a 50% gen-on-gen performance gain is pretty good. Like you'd certainly be very happy creating a GPU generation where you're achieving that sort of level. But then, you know, considering it was supposed to be more like a 3070 in terms of performance, you know, a 4070 is more in the range of, you know, 20 to 30% faster than the 3070, potentially they would be targeting a 4070 Ti in terms of Battle Mage performance. But again, I think somewhere in that range is probably where I'd be expecting performance to be. That's sort of a, a reasonable target for a next-generation product. I don't know, it's embarrassing it's, too hard, but it would be embarrassing yeah. if they came out and it was like a 4060 Ti level of performance with their top-tier card, I think. I think that's uh, not enough.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, power consumption comes into it as well there. And ultimately, mm-hmm. I guess, for gamers is price- but it's it's very, very, very tough to guess because you're going off sort of the traditional big gains we'd expect from NVIDIA or AMD using heavily refined architectures, whereas yeah, Arc true. isn't a heavily refined architecture. So for them to get a massive performance uplift, while really impressive and awesome, it, it wouldn't be out of the question. But at the same time, we're certainly not expecting that because, you know, it's not a heavily refined architecture. They missed performance targets last time. There's a lot of things they need to tweak, tune up, fix. But how long that takes to do as well. Like, again, I predicted it would be about three generations, not the second generation. Um, But, yeah, pure speculation like most of this discussion.
0: Even if it's not a refined architecture, they can brute force it by simply Mm -hmm. making the die really big. And if they are using, you know, uh, current ARC products are TSMC N6. So if they move to like N5 or something, which would match up with, you know, at least the higher t- tier products from like AMD and NVIDIA, that would give them, um, you know, a more dense Designs so they could fit yeah. more cores in which would help them brute force a bit more performance but they Maybe. need architecture and they need I architecture mean, advancements as well they can't exactly. just go and double the cores like it's uh, brute you know.
1: forcing inefficient architecture has always proven disastrous historically so i'm not sure that's the answer either but yeah there's, there's so many unknowns there's so many variables here that yeah we'll have to wait and see but basically yeah. i hope that you know my expectation is they will definitely launch a second generation and hopefully, it'll be it'll land uh, more in line with their performance expectations compared to the original yep. Arc GPUs, and they'll be able to make the same improvements throughout the the generation, um, and, and then yep. that'll put them in a really good position for their their third generation.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think if they can, you know. D- fix the the issues that made the A770 not reach the level of performance that it was supposed to so that would give them immediately like 20 to 30% more performance theoretically mm-hmm. then they could you know benefit from a die shrink include a few more cores upgrade things like the the memory subsystem and so on then it should be in a position where it is a, a Again, sort of in that mid range, and it'll properly. I I think a good goal, good expectation would be properly competing in the mid range, where the previous generation was sort of more entry level to mainstream at launch. I think that's that's where I'd like to see it hit, and then hopefully by as you say, the third generation or fourth generation, they're sort of more in you know competing across the stack with products right from the top, maybe not, you know, NVIDIA top, maybe AMD top tier products, depending on mm. what the generation is, but somewhere along the lines there, hopefully they will continue to push those sorts of things.
1: Yeah, got, all um, all easier said than done, but <laughs> absolutely, <laughs>
0: hopefully it can be done. We've got a couple more um, products that are sort of potentially this year, potentially next year, and I think maybe I'll start with Intel's Arrow Lake CPUs, the next generation of CPUs from Intel because that's probably the most likely to launch this year. I think we pretty much will see this in their usual launch slot towards the end of 2024, and this is expected to not be a refresh. This will be, at least based on rumors, a new architecture of some design. So new socket,
1: platform, all that stuff.
0: 100%. So we've seen with the the mobile chips that we've got this generation – uh, that they also used a new architecture, but they did not move that across to uh, the desktop for various different reasons. Part of that seems to be based on mobile testing that they're not actually that much faster, especially you know in, even in efficiency, they're not hugely faster and more efficient than previous generation parts. But with a future generation, potentially we'll be getting IPC improvements and things like that, which would deliver overall more performance. But one of the issues that we've seen from Intel CPUs at least over the past few generations, has been things like, yeah, they can get IPC improvements, but that can often be mitigated somewhat by clock speeds and things like that. If they can't get these chips up to 6 gigahertz, if it has to be a lower clock speed, mm. then they're going to need to have a massive IPC improvement mm. to deliver an actual performance improvement over what we've got.
1: That's the uh, That's been their problem for a while now. And it's obviously why this has been delayed because they couldn't achieve that. So it's a it's a tough one for them. I I have no real expectations or, or any insights into what Arrow Lake is going to deliver on the desktop and you know, whether it even will this year or it may be delayed until the year after. Not sure.
0: It's an interesting one. I think there's a lot of things that Intel need to be offering with this sort of CPU, and I think they they've got to get away from these extremely power hungry CPUs that are pushed right to the limit to compete with mm-hmm. AMD. I think. Mm-hmm. The, these parts, they, they can't just make them 300 watts again. If, if these parts are genuinely more efficient, then there has to be some sort of healthy balance here where they're not just cranking these things way beyond where they should be to deliver acceptable levels of performance. You know, Even if it's like 5 or 10% slower, but is at a reasonable power level, I think a lot of people would accept that in the current climate. But then again, Intel's mm-hmm. very much, they like having their leadership CPUs and things, yep. and that can often... Cause power consumption to be deprioritized, I guess. But
1: yeah, they've yeah. painted themselves into a corner. Like, king of gaming performance is what's led to all of this. And yeah, yeah, like like you say, there has to be massive, significant advancements in CPU design and, and what they're able to achieve with a future generation for them to be able to deliver the same sort of performance at potentially lower clock speeds, but also much lower power consumption and far out doing that and going from one generation to the other and achieving that, I I don't see how it's possible.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's just, as you say, that's currently the predicament they're in, isn't it? Like Mm -hmm. they're behind in a number of areas, really. Mm -hmm. Like even if they went and made the exact same CPU as current generation but just a lot more efficient, then by the time Zen 5 is out, that, that could be a CPU that's not, all that competitive in terms of performance, mm-hmm. especially if they're getting, you know, the they want the gaming crown again or some, something along those lines. And that could relegate them to mid-tier sort of, you know, performance and, and pricing and capabilities there, which I think would be something that Intel is probably trying to avoid. So again, they're trying to massage all those different factors, right? They're trying to mm-hmm. make sure they don't fall too far behind in performance. They want to be giving additional features and, and benefits to their users, they want to be improving the efficiency of those parts, and then on top of all that, they've got the platform changeover, and hopefully they've been thinking about, as we talked about in a podcast last year, the platform longevity of these processes. They a, a big a big thing that would sink Arrow Lake, even if they got all of these things right, would be making it a typical Intel platform where you can only get one upgrade on it, and <laughs> especially if they go with another refresh, as if so, it's not really even
1: a proper upgrade i think that's true i know well we certainly do see it in our comment sections a lot of pushback whenever we talk about pl- platform longevity a lot of people say you know no one upgrades every general i don't know look for those of you yeah. who watch a lot of our content i know i've addressed this so sorry to bore you if i am but People say, you know, people don't upgrade every generation. Uh, When I upgrade, I always build, you know, a new system or, you know, an upgrade for me always includes motherboard memory in that because I hold on to my parts for so long. And look, that's fine. Um, I believe there are plenty of people who do that. But you're also in denial. You're ignoring the evidence at hand. Like you're ignoring the fact that AM4 has been probably the most successful CPU platform in history. And yep. AM4 is still outselling a lot of Intel's more recent platforms for, for CPUs, and even motherboards. Like, it, it's crazy. But I guess at the very entry level, you can build AM4 systems very cheap. And they do have the upgrade path, which for a lot of people makes them really attractive. You know, get in now with a, a, a 5600 or something like that, and you have a 5800X3D down the track. Even if that doesn't make sense down the track, it's still enticing to people to know that they have a viable upgrade path that can offer a substantial performance improvement. But regardless of what your thoughts and feelings are on that, you're absolutely wrong if you say that platform longevity doesn't sell CPUs and therefore platforms, because AMD has proven it does. Like it's it's quite unbelievable how successful AM4 has turned out to be, given that you know the mm. initial the initial release was pretty janky. I wasn't particularly sold on the Ryzen 1000 series. There were some good value parts there, but motherboards was certainly far from great and CPU performance was a bit odd. Zen Plus did address that a bit, improved stuff like DRAM latency, uh, core latency, made them a bit better for gaming and all that. And I think um, really the Ryzen 5 2600 was probably the first, like this is a really great value CPU, Probably worth looking at investing in this over the Intel alternatives, and it just it went from strength to strength. Like every generation was definitely an improvement to the point where the fifty eight hundred X three D really did put them ahead at least until twelfth gen came out, um, which I think was about the same time to be fair. But it it got them there anyway. Like it it, it was yeah. it was a viable option to go with them. They they were sort of in a sense it was a flagship gaming CPU and. And I
0: think the key thing there is is that a lot of those processors they weren't the fastest or best processor like for a lot of those it was it's really only been this Zen 4 generation where mm-hmm. at the time of launch those processors could be classed as the best processor in that mm-hmm. performance tier. Yeah. And so you know, Intel has for a while had reasonably competitive performance and at times genuinely good value parts as well like Mm core i5s core i3s at various times have been genuinely quite affordable Mm processes but without that sort of platform longevity they are lacking that additional feature that would get people over the line and that's that's why i think that that main difference is intel is sort of where amd was in the sort of let's say right zen 2 sort of era they they have that type of product but then they don't have that extra push that's getting people just a, just that little bit more so that mm. people will really ignore some of the additional problems with the platform. They can go, okay, well, this CPU isn't amazing now, but at least I can buy a motherboard. It's really good value, put it in, and then once Arrow Lake or some future generation comes out, we can slot in a new CPU and hopefully it'll be a bit better. Intel doesn't have that, and I think that's why they've struggled a lot with these processes. So mm-hmm. it, they need to offer this and mm-hmm. uh, we've, we've said that i think we spent probably like 20 minutes in a previous podcast basically saying like intel would be very silly not to do this mm-hmm. that's still the case
1: in this podcast as well they they would simply be silly to to not offer this yeah and um, again you can you can disagree with our opinion on how useful that feature is but it, our opinion there doesn't really matter and your opinion doesn't matter because the the evidence shows that platform longevity has been one of the key successes of am4 and as you've said like it wasn't what made am4 so great it wasn't the fact that they were the absolute fastest cpus that you could buy on the desktop because they absolutely weren't uh, they were very good value so you could argue that the fact that you could buy a 2700x for i think it got down to like it was 150 or something less than that and you were 8700k's were much more expensive 8700k was a much better gaming cpu but it wasn't worth spending twice as much on or whatever it ended up being at that point in time so look what made am4 really successful and a great platform i think first and foremost was platform compatibility but Mm -hmm. of course platform compatibility is worthless if the cpus themselves aren't impressive so the fact that you got pretty impressive cpus again not the best cpus but near enough to the best uh and they were very very well priced and you could stick them on a range of different AM4 boards. I think all of those factors resulted in AM4 being a huge success. And AM5, if they're able to keep platform or they're able to get similar platform compatibility, which they should be able to do. You've got better CPUs there, you know, arguably class leading CPUs. Pricing's been pretty good. The CPU prices have come down. Motherboards are still average, but motherboards in general are average. But they're looking to repeat the success of AM4, AM5, you would hope. And so far, everything's everything's set in motion for that to happen. Whether or not AMD screw up, uh, which you know AMD has been known to do, we don't know, that, that's yet to be seen. But yeah, Intel hasn't committed to that type of strategy yet, which puts them at a huge disadvantage in our opinion.
0: Yeah, so I think the realistic expectations for Arrow Lake is something has got to give there. We're not going to be... I think it's unlikely that we'll see all of power performance and so on solved in one generation. Mm -hmm. I think a realistic target for them would be either similar or a small performance uplift over what they're currently offering at a much lower level of power consumption Mm -hmm. while maintaining good value and offering platform longevity. So really the Mm -hmm. two advancements would be the efficiency and the platform longevity. I think if they can do that, the platform would be in, in a reasonable position. It really would depend on, of course, where performance lies, where Zen Five lies, where how, what the actual platform longevity promise is, and what they're sort of saying around that. But if they can do all of those things, and I think Arrow Lake would be in a position where it's not just you know if, if we're seeing so, here and it's basically a fourteenth gen again, then it, you know it'll be the most boring release of the
1: year. Yeah, but what you're asking for is a reversal of roles if these hypothetical scenarios play out in the way that we're expecting them to. So Zen 5 being the dominant CPUs, uh, the dominant platform in terms of performance, how well-priced it'll be is hard to say. Generally, when you've got a superior product that's not super competitive on pricing, and that would put Intel in the position where they need to be competitive on pricing because maybe they're not as performant as their competitors'. -hmm. And they need to do. They need. They need to employ the AM4 strategy then to be successful.
0: Basically, basically, yeah. I I think if they, I think a a big misstep for them would be if they do attempt to make the fastest, biggest performance crown, and that that leads to sacrifices in other areas. Like if that means that they are making power consumption ridiculous again, which will no doubt get criticised in reviews. Or if that means they can't offer reasonable value or maybe that means they're not thinking of platform longevity because they're just going for what's worked for them maybe a decade ago, make it the best, just offer it, hope people will buy it. Yeah, I think that's where they would they would fall down. I think a shift in strategy to something that is more realistic, targetable, achievable with what they're currently offering would make a lot more sense. And there, there is a path there to make that product worth buying. It's not just going to be if all those if they can do all those things. It's not just a write off. Not everyone needs the absolute fastest desktop CPU. If you can offer something that's good value, has longevity, isn't blowing up your power supply and causing you to spend lots of money on power people will buy that i Mm -hmm. I believe they will buy that sort of product Mm -hmm. um but it's all it's all on exactly where it lands and how much they're able to achieve there because yeah it it feels like it's in sort of like an amd gpu situation where we're talking about like how many generations will it take for amd to get into the position that nvidia is in it kind of feels like intel cpus are sort of we shouldn't be expecting it to be like a one generation fix. Like it mm-hmm. goes from where they are now to suddenly being extremely competitive. But if they can work towards a strategy of maybe by 2025, they have very, very competitive CPUs again, then yeah, I think that's where they should be working towards. And there's a way to do that while still selling CPUs. So mm-hmm. hopefully they, they do that. There's two final products. We've probably been going reasonably long on this one, but there's two final things to talk about, which is next-generation GPUs from AMD and NVIDIA. I think I'll largely skip the NVIDIA stuff because it's unlikely that we will see Blackwell, the next-generation lineup from NVIDIA, in 2024. Rumors have sort of been fluctuating between will it, won't it be sort of very end of 2024 or early Mm. 2025. So it's unclear. It's unclear on that one, but it's, I'd say, most likely 12 months out sort of from from where we are now amd's rdna4 though there's been more rumors suggesting that these products will be released at some point in 2024 um and there's sort of been, even been rumors suggesting that they're doing this on purpose to get ahead of nvidia yeah
1: sort of that's what, i was sitting breaking here thinking the cycle, cycle. Yeah, that's interesting yeah. would nvidia i mean i suppose if they can't do anything about it, they can't do anything about it but yeah they wouldn't be too happy to let that happen would they I think it depends. Like,
0: It depends what sort of products they're producing because rumors have also suggested with RDNA 4 that AMD will not be targeting high-end products. Mm. So I think NVIDIA would be much more happy with an RDNA 4 lineup that isn't going for, you know, breaking a 4090 performance, offering 30% more than that or something like that. Mm-hmm. They'd be much more happy to let let it slide if they were only producing, you know, competitors to current products. But mm-hmm. then again, it depends on how, you know, how affordable they are what's the sort of value proposition how much are they going to shift the needle there because if Mm. they're offering 30 40 percent more performance at a similar price to current products then i can't imagine they'd be super happy with that i think this is if this does pan out to be the case where amd and nvidia break out of the same sort of release cycle which i think has been the case now for several generations where they've released it effectively the same time to be honest, I think that's a good move for AMD. They need to be doing, again, something to change it up, shake up the strategy a little bit, just mm-hmm. not not copying NVIDIA and releasing yeah. at the same time with the same performance and value. Mm-hmm. Breaking the cycle and releasing RDNA 4 a little earlier and then potentially RDNA 5 not that long after NVIDIA mm-hmm. Blackwell, to me that seems like something that would make sense. But again, they're... they're the reason, I guess, why they've been tied to the same release strategy is that they're very reliant on the fabs. And if they're using the same fabs, they're kind of stuck releasing products at effectively the same time. Um, mm-hmm. So where do you see RDNA for? Do you think this will come this year? And do you think it'll come before RTX 50 series? You, this is a guess. We don't have to be right. Yeah, this is yeah. just a, a
1: fun guess, I guess. Uh, I would have been shocked if if they beat NVIDIA by, you know, more than a month, for example. Mm-hmm. uh so i wouldn't have predicted that to be the case uh just historically i suppose and like performance expectations i'm not giving you performance expectations of art like no chance no <laughs> we're, chance. Too, we're, we're
0: too far out there's no yeah. way any of that those targets will, will be accurate I'll, i think
1: it'll be... yeah i'll give them to you in my review
0: <laughs> i think it'll be interesting to see whether the rumors of targeting mid-range will end up being true because that's not even clear. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. accurate.
1: Yeah, I'm not super sure about that one. I, I, If I had to guess, I would say that's not accurate. Like that would not be my expectation at all.
0: Yeah, I think it would be they'd find it hard to sell that. Like I guess it depends how good the mid-range products are, right? Like if, if they have another 5700 XT, which again some people have criticized that product as being not great, but mm-hmm. I disagree. I think it was a really good... Um, mid-range product at the time. Mm-hmm. If they can offer that again in this current generation, well, an upcoming generation, I think they'd get people on board, but they're going to struggle with, again, like Halo Effect stuff where they're, yeah, they're not offering it, the fastest that's performance. Right. It, so.
1: Yeah, it sets the whole brand back. It's definitely a step backwards. And, yeah, like we're seeing with Intel, it takes generations to recover from that and build from it. So that would be something they should be wanting to avoid at all costs in my opinion. I think so. I think they'd probably be better off attempting... Like, I guess the only
0: reason they'd they'd want to cancel a high-end RDNA 4 product would be that they think it's not competitive. Because if it was competitive, they would release it. Exactly. So if they think it's not competitive, it's like, how not competitive is it? Are we talking, Mm -hmm. like, disastrously not competitive? Like, it's not that much faster than a 7900 XTX? Then maybe... Th- that would be the right strategy just offer lower performance at a very good price but if they can even eke out like close to 4090 levels of performance from something or a little bit faster than a 4090 i don't know whether the right strategy there would be to just cancel that product so yeah it's an interesting one so those gpus are probably too far away to speak too much about i think you're probably right in saying that They're probably not going to be more than a couple of months ahead if they are Mm -hmm. ahead Mm -hmm. because I think all the last generations, right, both the 40 series and the 30 series came ahead of the Mm -hmm. relevant AMD parts. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. But, you know, a a little bit I am hoping that both these GPU series launch in 2024 because that would make this one of the most exciting years that we've seen in some time with two, three GPU generation releases from each company new Zen 5 CPUs, Intel's moving to a new architecture, and some additional things at the start of this year. Mm -hmm. That looks like a much better suite of releases, in my Uh, opinion, than what we got last year. (laughs) Yeah, very exciting. But we'll see. Anyway, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about what we've done in the holiday period. All right, Steve, we're back. We're here to talk about our boring lives, which, depending on what we've done over the holidays, may stray out of the boring category. But mm-hmm. you had a holiday before the Christmas, New Year period. So you got yep. all your excitement out of the way. So It's all done. Between, you know, we obviously didn't have a podcast last week. What have you been doing? Tell me that you've got the most, you've got all these
1: stories, all these exciting things to talk about. Surely we've had a week off. I mean, what's As happened? much as I hate to disappoint you, Tim, Uh, Yeah, haven't been doing a lot, to be honest. I've just been catching up on work, um, slowly building up my motivation and momentum to get back into it. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I've been mostly focused on work, having said that I haven't been as productive as I would like to be or am normally. It's sort of weird after a holiday and the whole Christmas thing and all the shake up there and getting all all distracted and whatnot. Yeah, getting back on track takes a bit of time, so I've just been focusing on that. Um, Probably playing more games than I than I should be um, and of course you know doing a bit of Fortnite with uh, my daughter and stuff and nice. so been probably doing a bit too much of that and, and not enough work but I'll be getting into it And obviously we have some product releases coming up so that'll reinvigorate me I'll get all excited and do all those day one reviews and then from that point forward I imagine we'll be away and 2024 will have kicked off so yeah haven't haven't really done I, I've I've been yeah, nowhere near as productive as what I would normally be on pretty much any front. Like the build under the deck that I've been working on, that's hit the pause button on that before I went away, and I haven't picked up a single tool since I've been back. So I want to get back onto that as well, and and because that's nearly done, it's like a eighty percent done. So get that done. But yeah, it's it's been just. I mean, I'm in bare maintenance mode. So mowing the lawns, doing a bit of sipping that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, just got to get back into it. I feel I feel ashamed of how lazy I've been, Tim. Ah, well, you know it's always good to to
0: take a break and take it easy because <laughs> yeah, you know, we sort of looked at the the schedule of things for this month, and it's mm. like yeah, there's a fair few things going on. So yeah, against um,
1: my will, I will become
0: busy. <laughs> yeah, we'll sort of be hitting it hitting it pretty hard to start the year. Obviously, CES is just around the corner, mm. and next week we'll have probably yeah, you know, we'll be talking about some of the news and things that have come out of that show towards the end of the week. But, yeah, sort of sort of similar. I took well, it took a couple of days off because there were some family events and, and stuff for for Christmas on this end, but I have as well been doing things like I finished playing Avatar, Frontiers of Pandora, the you know the new game that people have been praising the graphics on. So I have played the whole thing now. And I think at at the end of the day, I probably wouldn't recommend it. I'd probably, I guess it depends what sort of game you're after. I think if you're after a sort of, hey, I want to see what the visuals are like, get a game that's really gonna push my PC and I wanna see beautiful visuals. There's probably, I don't know, five to ten hours of enjoyment of that as you sort of start to play, you know, parts of the game. You see the beautiful visuals, and you're like, Whoa, you know, I bought a forty ninety and you know, now I'm really, you know, playing games that justify that purchase. But then there's sort of like there's actually more game than just that. So there's kind of, you know. A second and third part of the game, which aren't as interesting, and it's yeah, it's it's very much like a a a pretty typical average sort of game. So I think it depends on whether you like those sort of Far Cry style Ubisoft games as to whether you'll enjoy it or not. But for me, it's sort of like first ten hours. Oh yeah, this isn't too bad. I'm enjoying this. The visuals very very impressive, and I'm liking that. Then the middle part, I'm like, hmm, yeah, not sure, not sure about this. Then by the third the third part of the game, I'm like, yeah this is pretty much just the same as the first bits and not overly exciting. So yeah, that's sort of been happening and watched a couple of movies as well, which I I was chatting to a few people about in the discord community. One of them being rebel moon part one, which I believe is on Netflix. A lot of people, well, it was marketed as sort of this new star Wars thing. I'm like, Oh, star Wars. I like star Wars. I'll watch your sort of fake star Wars. Don't watch this. This is a, this is a terrible movie, real bad. Don't very, very bad. Um, I'd seen the reviews of people saying that it was bad. So I went in with like fairly low expectations and boy, was I not prepared for how bad it was.
1: Well, I won't throw anyone under the bus, but I have two friends who watched it and said it was quite good and they enjoyed it. I Mm -hmm. think three friends maybe. Uh, But I watched the critical drinkers review and his review was a more colorful version of yours (laughs) <laughs> uh, and i generally go off the stuff he says so yeah i it wasn't on my to watch list so now i don't know what to do to him is it i thought there was going to be an r-rated version of it later this year or something like that release perhaps so i was gonna I wait to watch that better. okay well i was going to watch it based on the opinion of a few friends um mm. but now that i've heard your review it's like Maybe I'll watch it while I'm benchmarking. Maybe. There's other, surely there's other things to watch. There I is, mean, like, there is, so it's tough.
0: I'm not a, like, Zack Snyder, the director, I'm not a hater of him or anything. I've liked some of his films previously, so I'm not, like, I, I feel like he's kind of divisive, like people, there's a lot of people that just straight out hate what he makes. Mm-hmm. I'm not one of those people, films like Watchmen 300, I've liked those films of his in the past. The Zack Snyder cut of Justice League was fine. Um but yeah, this movie I don't like I don't really get some of the comparisons to Star Wars even like there's just it's just not good. Like the the story is very predictable and not overly interesting, the acting and like some of the dialogue is like like episode 2 of Star Wars like prequel level bad. So I guess if you're trying to compare it to like Attack of the Clones where Anakin's talking about sand and stuff like that, that's the level of dialogue in my – probably a little worse than that Oof. throughout the movie. It's not no. like – it's not original trilogy stuff. It's not
1: – so. Okay. Well, unless I see extremely strong pushback against your opinion in the comments, I'm definitely not watching it.
0: Yeah. I'm like, yeah, maybe I should have waited for the extended director's R-rated cut, but I honestly, I can't see a director's cut – of the same sort of thing improving this film. And supposedly there's like a part two coming next year. They've filmed two parts in the one thing. I I don't know Mm. whether I'll bother, but maybe if people say part two is really good and redeems it, then I'll give it a chance. But yeah, Rebel Moon was not a a film that I particularly enjoyed. Uh, I also watched The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, a film that sort of came out of nowhere. And I was like, hmm, again, like the Hunger Games franchise, I was sort of, eh, it's okay. And this film was fine, better than okay. Rebel Moon. It was, it was enjoyable. It's a bit interesting. Mm-hmm. It's, it feels a bit long in parts, and you know, the the end conclusion part is a bit strange. It's sort of not like some of the other Hunger Games movies, but it's fine enough. Um, so if you're looking for a bench, a, a movie to watch while benchmarking, I would choose the new Hunger Games film over Rebel Moon, in my opinion. Okay. But neither are like you got to go out. You must watch those films. Because the film I watched just the other day that I did think you should watch is what is it uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, the animated one? Okay, yeah, that's very good. That's a so that's a really that good film. Is that the
1: second one of those or third? Yes,
0: yeah, the second one.
1: Yeah, okay. I've, I saw the first one. That was that was good. I watched that with my daughters, and they really enjoyed it. Yeah. So they've already watched the the second one. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll possibly watch that at some time. Yeah, it's good. I. I
0: I really enjoyed watching that. It It is very much feels like the first part of a two-part movie. So the ending is not the most satisfying conclusion that wraps everything up. There's certainly some things okay. that are left for the, the second film, which I think was delayed because of writers' strikes, actor strikes or something. I don't really follow that too much and how that impacts things. But yeah, that, so of the, those three films I've watched recently, The Hunger Games, Rebel Moon and Across the Spider-Verse, definitely across the spider verse of those three um yeah really good film really especially cuz i know you've you bought this year well, or this year last year a nice big tv it's one of those films that mm-hmm. is nice on a nice big tv so yeah i think that's it for the first episode of 2024 episode 18 lots of expectations for stuff and i know people will probably you know, that we'll have all these quotes of things that we're expecting to happen. And then by the end of the year, people will be like, oh, you said that and how wrong were you? So we'll see how much of that happens. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to, to testing products this year. I think there's a lot of interesting things coming out. It should be, yeah, I sort of agree with you about the sort of motivation side of things. Not too many things happening to, mm. to make it exciting. I, I feel like 2024 is going to be a better year with a lot more interesting things to talk about. So yeah, we'll be back next week to talk about CES stuff, and probably throughout the rest of January, there'll be lots of breakdowns of new products and things on the podcast. If you if you want our sort of extended takes of additional things, some reviews that pop up, pop up, and things like that, you'll you'll see that in the podcast throughout this month and as more products get reviewed. So that's it for this one. Thanks for listening. Follow us on your Spotify and your podcasts, playlists, things, and YouTube for if you want to see the video version and. Yeah, we'll see you in the next one.
1: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter.